This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, episode number 42. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion today we're going to wel- welcome back db again daryl bulky we're going to talk about becoming an effective gunfighter kind of a counterpoint or uh some additional considerations to uh the podcast i did with super dave harrington there about two weeks ago but first Today's episode is brought to you by our title sponsor, Excess Sites. Check them out at excesssites.com. As always, links for all of these are in the show notes. Also brought to you by CCW Safe, legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Save 10% off your membership at checkout. Enter code OFFDUTY10. Of course, EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, the most functional, comfortable concealed carry belt on the market, hands down. Check them out at edcbeltcode.com. Reminder, Guardian Conference, links in the show notes coming up fast. And uh, also, the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Last week's show, I forgot to mention that in the in the intro, uh, in the outro. Yeah, we threw that one out there. So uh, you got to sign up weekly, every week, and it's uh, all the networks: Firearms Trainers Podcast with Rob Beckman, uh, Off Duty On Duty, and of course the Concealed Carry Podcast. All right, let's bring in the guest. Welcome back, Daryl. Again, for uh, you are now in the front runner of co-hosting slash guest hosting. You are now in the lead. You know, I always got to beat Haney a little bit. Just a little, like, <laughs> and then next week. Just a little. It doesn't have to be a lot. Next week, you'll probably have Haney on to offset this. So. Well, we're, we're talking about doing uh, another rapid fire with Haney. And uh, that, that one got a lot of good feedback. It got... Uh, you know, as we've said before, like brevity is not our specialty and, uh, no, it, it forces us both out of our comfort zone a bit. So we'll, uh, see, you know, we need, we need to do one of these live with me and Haney up there. Yeah. Cause what could be a, what could be a better intro in a, a Libyan and a Jew enter a bar in Oklahoma? <laughs> could, could it get any better than that? Could it get any more diverse? <laughs> Because we are we are the kings of diverse equity. <laughs> well, the only thing that would would uh, would uh, really put the icing on the cake is to have Dobbs on too, and just you got to have Dobbs because if we don't have our fifth generation tax, then it's just not right. Yeah, yeah, that would that that would just like puts the puts the gloss on it for some reason. So absolutely, absolutely, yeah. We talked uh, earlier in the week. I had uh, S Dave on Super Dave, um, and I love Super Dave. Oh, I, you know, there's just, there's not a lot you can like, I, sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around him because he just is what, like, he just is super Dave, you know? And, and, uh, I think he's kind of like, yeah, I kind of came to the conclusion that I've sort of really almost made it in the pathway on the gun world because 
I actually think I really sort of understand what Dave's talking about. And that you got to be at a level to really get what Dave's where Dave's going. Yes. Yeah, Dave is not for Dave is not for novice shooters who don't. I mean, Dave, you really got to kind of kind of really wrap your head deep into the well of this stuff to to really kind of kind of get into what 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 Dave's getting at. And I think a lot of people miss it. Um, but yeah, I absolutely any chance I get to listen to Dave, whether he's whether he's playing uh, ACDC on the guitar or, or you know just. Just uh, given his thoughts on, on on how the world functions, it's always a, a great experience. So yeah, we we I joke because uh, every time my phone rings or I call him, uh, it's a two and a half hour conversation, and my brain hurts afterward. But it's it's like a good workout. You're like, oh man, I f- I feel better once I'm done. But there's some heavy lift, like heavy uh, intense idea lifting going on and uh, i've never met a guy that really thinks as deeply about interacting with a gun and and employing a gun yeah i mean i just couldn't function in the rest of my life if i had that level of depth which is why i like listening to dave yeah because he's working at he's working at a different level you know that most people life will not allow him to take the dive that deep or life experiences to Pull, pull, pull the bucket out of that well on yes. what, what, where he's going. So, yeah, with that, you know, uh, listening to the podcast you did with him, you know, really, uh, you know, hit some notes with me that there's sort of another side of the story that, you know, hopefully we can kind of dive into as well that, that I think a lot of people miss as well. Yeah. And on the LE standpoint, um, a lot of it comes into people management and you've, I I've heard you use that, that phrase a lot is, yeah, you know, yeah, because that's be- what we're, we're, we're be- doing a lot of managing people with a gun between us. Right. And, and I think that's a differentiation on the, the LE side in the constitutional United States. It, it adds a layer that, uh, it's not just pure gunfighting. How about that? Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, we all have to sort of beat this out on our own level of experience. And it's one of the things, you know, I tell people, I go, you know, it's always fun to, you know, watch, you know, all those poor, you know, the cops are all screwed up and they can't shoot. Okay. You know, whatever. But what they do do is they manage unknown threats under huge scrutiny daily and if you're in a busy metropolitan area the the anvil you're pounding experience out on managing situations for real with multiple force tools from presence to lethal on a daily basis multiple times a day is massive you know while the reality is, you know, while a lot of these tier one units, even the ones with high operational tempos, the reality is, you know, you know, your typical, uh, you know, graveyard, uh, late swing shift cop working in a major metropolitan, uh, crap hole these days is dealing with a lot daily and they're not getting the training side of it, but they are getting the real side of it often. And, you know, uh, early on in my kind of gun career, I came, 
I came to, a, I had a little bit of an epiphany. So I'm a real closet, uh, diehard lover of the Colt 1911 pattern pistol. Um, I, I, I truly believe it is the finest close quarters gunfighting thing ever built. So you, with that, you and I should yeah. probably go to meetings. I think there's meetings right, for that. Yeah. 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 So, so I always had this incredible deep seated love for the 1911 and it's because a lot of the mentors that I looked up to also had that and guys who were, you know, kind of incredible uh, and very experienced guys that basically shoot other human beings all seem to really like them. So, but the kind of the epiphany I had after a couple of years in police work, and it, it may not have even lasted a couple of years, but certainly within a few years was, you know, as cool as that is, and as cool as a gunfighting tool as that 1911 is, I'm not in the gunfighting business. I find that I'm in the prisoner tanking business. And so before I kind of got into the people management terminology, the terminology I used to use a lot are, are, are prisoner taking guns. Um, I was a big, uh, I carried a SIG, SIG Sauer and, and all of mine said, you know, uh, were early West Germany guns, um, real older SIGs, um, whether it was a 220, 226, um, carried a 225 off duty quite a bit, 230 as my backup, you know. I was really into the SIGs and then into the HKUSPs. And what I found was those triggers and those systems on those guns were much better for taking people prisoner, which I was doing often. You know, I tell people, you know, for several years, I was in a uh, crime suppression bicycle unit where we were usually pushing close to 500 felony arrests a year um, and always leading the, the agency in number of armed uh, suspects that we just armed with a pistol or, or armed with a firearm when contacted anybody else. And we had more shootings kind of than anybody. So, but the reality of that is when you're making that many arrests, when you're taking that many prisoners and, you know, being on a bike in a metropolitan area, you interact with an awful lot of people and far more than you'll ever do in a, in a sled. So you really come to the realization that I'm not doing a whole lot of gun fighting. I'm doing a whole lot of prisoner taking. And then you can kind of counter that with on the plain clothes assignments, undercover and for citizens carrying a concealed weapon. You're what you're really doing is your people managing is what you're doing. You're not getting into these straight up gunfights. And, you know, years ago, um, the range, my home range was owned by, uh, the former chief instructor of a top, top tier military unit. Uh, guy was one of the you know kind of premier snipers in the country. And, you know, he got into afterwards, he got really heavy into the, uh, what, you know, we call play shooting or sport shooting and USPSA and stuff like that. I said, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird to, you know, like, dude, you're like kind of super combat dude, you know, with a lot of combat deployments, a lot of real world deployments, um, and stuff. It kind of, 
man, you're taking a deep dive into USPSA. And he goes, dude, if I ever have to pull a pistol out, it is a USPSA match. He goes, you know, I, he goes in my world as a, as a military sniper who is generally carrying a bolt gun. If I am deploying my pistol, he goes, I am shooting everything I see as fast as I can shoot it. Yeah. And it was kind of a straight up, I'm not doing what you cops do because I'm shooting everything because I'm in some overseas, far away, horrible place that probably has a stand or a beak or some other thing on the end of the name that it doesn't really matter. And that, and you know, you have these little kind of these little lights go on that a lot of these mill guys who are coming out, I mean, like I said, high operational tempos, they are working in a world that is not my world. And, but a lot of that stuff doesn't really apply to the whole equation here. Now, when it comes time to pressing the trigger, that becomes sort of a universal thing. But what I've kind of figured out is the pressing the trigger part doesn't happen very often. And what, what you have to do under constitutional scrutiny, legal scrutiny, civil liability, ethical, cultural, societal mores, uh, all of these things, you know, you, you have a whole lot there before and after that trigger gets pressed and every time the trigger gets pressed. And that is again, a huge distinction, you know, kind of like when we're talking about on that whole, you know, incapacitation thing, how many times you're pressing a trigger becomes a massive issue in this, in the domestic world that is not necessarily an issue in other worlds. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of little distinctions there that when we get into the meat and potatoes of the gunfighting, there's a lot of percentages in there that are, that don't weigh the same. And what I, what I really took away on some of Dave's stuff, uh, that was interesting is Dave is known as a shooter because Dave shoots at a, you know, Dave's like one of those guys. I wish I put the work in that Dave does to be that level of shooter. Um, so most people are always kind of looking at Dave from that shooting standpoint of the pressing the trigger part. But the interesting goal from some of that was how important situational awareness is how important taking in what's going on is and some of the stuff. And he used a little different tech, not terminology, but when he was talking about the difference between a control grip and a shooting grip, yeah, that was I gold. just had, well, I just had the conversation two weeks prior with Larry Mudgett about this exact same topic. And we were discussing the difference between a recoil control grip and a retention of the firearm grip. Now, like when we're teaching together, uh, Wayne Dobbs usually doesn't like people even looking at how I'm holding the gun because it's not like anybody else really does because I use a grip on the gun 
that is made for me to retain the gun from kind of a 360 degree grip that I'm really trying to hang on and maintain the gun versus only control versus weight. I'm weighed heavily towards retention versus weighed heavily towards uh, recoil control. Cause I'm really not that concerned about shooting that fast. Uh, I know it's not cool. Uh, a lot of the people out there will say, well, that's just an excuse. Cause you don't shoot fast. I can't, I've been put on timers with guys who sit there and go, dude, you can actually shoot really fast. Yeah, I know I, I can. I just tend to not. Um, so it's, it's just not my jam. It's not what I'm about. It's not my thing because it's not that important to what I'm trying to do. I only have so much time in life and I'm at a stage in life where I'm making up for all those years I devoted to, uh, the combative arts and my job and everything else. I'm at the point in life. I'm devoted to my wife and family and my daughter and stuff like that. That's more important to me. So the gun stuff for me has gotten down to truly the nitty gritty. And the most important thing to me right now is being morally, legally, and ethically right. Every time I press the trigger, if I ever have to get in another shooting, I need those three things to really be in line. That requires a lot of thought. That requires a lot of thinking. Um, I have, I use the term all the time that I shoot at assessment speed and people kind of like glaze over, like, what's that? And I shoot as fast as I can assess and I train at that speed. And, you know, people come up with all this, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, muscle memory and this is BS and that's BS and da, da, da. You know, the reality is you get a lot of trainers out there who are throwing all sorts of scientific terminology around. I have a feeling they don't really understand, but it sounds good. But for me, talking to people who are in that business, who are expertise, one of the the quotes I've stolen is uh, nerves that fire together, um, wire together. Thus, we you know our hardwired yeah. tactical shooting, you know, but, but nerves that fire together, wire together and, um, nerves that link sink. So you're developing these neural pathways. Well, what neural pathways do you really want to develop? And for me, I'm trying to develop a set of neural pathways where I don't really have to be thinking about what I'm doing on the gun so I can really focus on the decisions I'm making because before I can press that trigger again, I have to go through an entire evaluative process to justify pressing that trigger again. I've done this a lot. Um, as far as threat assessment in the real world, it probably doesn't take me a whole lot of time to do that, but it certainly isn't at a point five one five split time. Yeah. And I think it's more like like two or three times that. And I'm pretty good at it. I think some of that comes with uh I hate to say maturity. You know, in everybody's journey with a pistol, we all hit these different like I won't say plateaus, but you hit these different check marks. It's you know, it's how fast can I get the gun into into action? How fast can I draw? How fast can I defeat concealment? How fast can I 
is appendix better than this is that and you go through this evolution in this cycle and i think everybody does and somewhere along the lines you you stop really caring about did i pull the pistol or did i my shot to shot time was it sub two five or sub one eight or whatever and you start developing like accountability more so than well, I got the gun into action and I ran a one five split, but the second shot I'm, I was kind of questionable about, and I found myself there about three years ago about, okay, well I can shoot at how you know, Ernest Langdon calls it limit a human function. I, I can, I can function there I, and I can yeah, be reasonably yeah. accurate. Uh, but it, I'm more concerned now about high accountability and not just accountability of where the shot goes or or how the shot hits the target in the spot that I I deem it necessary but all the thought process that goes in before that shot goes off and, and what I mean by that is like you talk about it, okay am I assessing what's going on am I am I am I 125% sure that when I press the trigger, it's not only appropriate, but that I have a, a, that I demand of myself a high level of accountability. And the odd thing about that is in my shooting journey, it started with USPSA, IDPA, and how fast can you do all these tasks to PPC shooting at a high level of accountability to, well, let's explore the accuracy and speed thing. And now it's kind of back to somewhere in the middle where yes, I can shoot fast when, when that demands, but that's not where I spend the bulk of my time. The bulk of my time is spent going, how fast can I reasonably shoot this target with extreme accountability and assess the necessity, if that makes sense. And and yeah, you know, it's been an interesting transition. If you look, you know, one of my, uh, you know, I always go back to a lot of Ken Hackathorn quotes because because they're right (laughs) because they're right you know ken's just been around for so long and you know the reality is ken's one of those guys that i tell people he's kind of like you know tom Givens and pat rogers and some of these other guys i go you know i don't agree with these guys all the time but i respect everything that comes out of their mouth because it was earned and again we've just beaten on a little bit different experience anvil but everybody's been beaten on an anvil of experience it's not theory based and we're not making it up but you know one of one of the ken quotes is you know the uh the speed fairy always shows up it's hard to get the accuracy fairy to show up and you know that's kind of i've found you know looking at a lot of this stuff that you know it's it's not hard to beat a trigger into submission that an incredibly at an incredible speed when you're scared to death. That's not a very difficult skill to do. Um, it's getting that, that level of accuracy there. And then we get into all these pissing contests of, of what's an acceptable target or acceptable level of accuracy. And for me, you know, I want to, if I want to end it really quick, I have to have a pretty high level of that accuracy because Pistol bullets suck if you don't hit a couple of things that are the size of a large orange or a grapefruit. If you can't hit those, you're going to be doing it again. And 
again, this is where all the, the dynamics come in. You know, my goal is shooting now. So, you know, everybody kind of goes and they have these things like, you know, I want to, I want a fast coin or, you know, I want to be a USPSA GM, whatever it is. A lot of people have these incredible goals and I'm not dissing on anybody. We all have our path and our journey and whatever makes you happy. I encourage it. You know, this is a, it's, it's a big tent and there's a lot of, lot of ways in and out and how you maneuver in there. For me personally, goal number one is not to have to call CCW safe at three o'clock in the morning. Okay. So there's, there's, there's the first goal is to not have to make that phone call, which means not have to employ the pistol. Right. So there's, there's goal one. So, so shortly behind that, if that doesn't work out and I've got a call, I want somebody when, you know, your dad or one of the crew come out, I want, I want the thing to be, Oh dude, this is an easy day. We got this. This is no big deal. That's what I want the answer to be. That was so good that you have nothing to worry about. This is airtight. So those are my two goals. Um, which, and if I'm, I've, I've, read, I've made goal number one, if I'm making the phone call. So, you know what I mean? It's we've, we've yeah. won the engagement either by not be, either by not being in it, or if I'm making the call, I won. So when that's your goal setting, it's a big difference between performance setting. So a lot of people get hung up on the performance side and I usually find, and again, I'm not trying to be dismissive because nobody has respect for people like Rob Latham and others at that level than I do, because I look at them as freaks of nature who do things I can't and have put in the work to do it. So this is not a dig at that, but my my take on this is that a lot of people who are good at doing drills exercises or some performance based thing usually don't have the uh surprise match champion pin for winning a chaos encounter because they just don't happen a lot is the reality is a lot of us are training for something we think could happen, but haven't, you know, when I really kind of took a look at this by the numbers, I think it's out there that like, for example, in law enforcement, now these are people who are going to driving a hundred miles an hour, at least in the old days, they used to drive a hundred miles an hour to go get into shootings. You know, where somebody calls 911 and somebody drives a hundred miles an hour to go get in a shooting. So again, they're already on a, on a percentage that most people aren't. What's the percentage of law enforcement who have been in a shooting? I think we're talking like 7%. Yeah. The last stats I read were, were shy of 10%. They were South of 10%. Okay. So then we take that 10% and let's factor out the, the, the craptastic ones that we see on video all the time where all of us gun people cringe 
because it was horrible. Okay, that wasn't, and we get down to the ones that were what we like to call a righteous shoot. Those ones you go, there you go. You know, good control. Some of the interviews I've done where guys are describing follow through to me, you know, as I watch the guy crumple under my front sight, settling into the rear sight. I mean, for guys like us, that's exciting stuff, you know. Um, that's that's propeller. Or, the know, propeller on uh, our hat starts going. Wow! Yeah, yeah going off. That, yeah, it's like I did some good teaching stuff, you know. But that the that that you get some of these shootings that are exceptionally good, what we like to term righteous shootings that were on-demand performance that were trained to, and just simply an exceptional use of lethal force. So now we're down into one or two percent of those shootings are those. Now, how many do we have that are multiples of that? Where you have somebody who's done that two, three, four, five, six, ten times. We're talking microscopic numbers out there of people we can. And if you talk to most of those people, do you see any of those guys working what most people fixate on in the shooting world? No. No, because there's no, because there's no, you know, you can't get on Instagram or whatever it is and go, hey, check out my, you know, with a picture of your timer and your target. And I'm just as guilty. I mean, every so often when I do something amazing, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to take a picture of that, put it on, on Facebook. Cause, you know. Yeah, Queen Dobbs' wife always says, "Why does Daryl put that stuff up when he beat?" Because it's so rare that I beat Wayne. If I beat Wayne at anything, it's going up on Facebook. You know, because you know, because everybody, you know, Daryl hates competition shooting. No, he doesn't. Daryl's competing every time I go to the range with myself, <laughs> with something else, with Wayne. You know, I'm always competing. Now Wayne will tell you I'm the biggest cheater on the planet. If I can get a foot, a half a foot in front of somebody else's whatever, I'm 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 hyper competitive. So it's not that it's just that i've just gotten to the point where i can only have so much on my plate on my life as i like it and so what i've got on my plate right now is the only thing important to me is the gun i carry every day and being able to employ it at a level that I don't have to call CCW safe at three o'clock in the morning. And if I do, everybody thinks it's the greatest thing they've ever heard. Yeah. So it's like, wow, that'll be, that's easy. You J- know, Justin dial who I don't, I don't know if you cut the podcast with him, but he said something really profound and, you know, everybody I've ever talked to, they all have some profound statement. I, I mean, Hanny, you super Dave, Whoever it is, there's always a nugget of gold in like every podcast. And aside from, you know, him kind of being the, the, the brain matter behind the five yard roundup, which is my absolute, uh, that is tied with the test, the super test and the five yard roundup. I'd like those three, I could shoot those the rest of my life and be pretty confident that I could handle 99.9% of anything. Uh, but all that aside, he said, every one of us is resource limited. And I thought about that and I didn't really catch where he was going with it. And he said, you know, I've, I've worked in some of the top tier, uh, Marine Corps units and schoolhouses where, you know, we have pallets of ammo. And if we shoot all that pallet today, another two more show up tomorrow, because we're just going to get ahead of the curve. 
And he said, and then I've, I've worked in places that the operational tempo was high. So the, the, the training time was limited. And he goes, and now that I'm in kind of civilian world, he said, the resource limitation comes from how much time do I balance with family, with friends, with, you know, mowing the yard, any of this other, uh, the, so we all have a limitation. If we had an unlimited ammo budget, you know, something in our life would suffer. So we all have to have some type of balance there, which means we're all resource limited. And I never looked at the time factor as a resource. So my range sessions have gotten considerably shorter and more pointed and more focused on one cold performance and what I mean by cold performance is, okay, I'm going to go shoot the test today. And that's that's what I'm going to shoot. That's my range session. And if I fall short in some regard, I'm going to practice some skill set in there. Uh, you know, 30, 40 rounds. And I know that sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time going, I shot a 1-6 split every time I went out, you know, every time I pressed the trigger and I got 95% accuracy, I go... I want to shoot for a hundred percent accuracy all the time. And I want to do it cold on demand all the time because I'm resource limited. You know, I've got a belt company. I've got training classes that I want to go to. I've got family stuff, you know, it, it, there's, I have to make that time for myself and open up that resource of time. And I'm not, shooting uspsa or idpa or any or ppc or any of that stuff anymore i just shoot for like you said i don't want to have to call ccw safe so if i can avoid it in the first place the the victory is mine you know uh and then if i yeah. do i want to make that the absolute best case scenario that could possibly uh <laughs> which you know it's a bad yeah. situation as it is just not but if I have to make that phone call, I want them to be like, okay, dude, <laughs> we'll be there in, you know, four hours and it's, it's good. Just take a breather. Uh, I don't want to be the yeah, guy that, yeah. that they're calling 19 use of force experts in and going, uh, well, okay, let's, let's dive deeper, you know? Uh, and the same thing in the law enforcement realm, I want to possess, I want to possess almost an automatic skill set that I don't have to worry about the shooting portion. Uh, and I think as it, which is a trend I've seen with your more mature instructors is they start gravitating towards, uh, what I like to call thinking guns, meaning guns that yeah. don't just have, you know, a five and a half pound and they go pow. Uh, you see guys that have more experience lean towards double action, first shot guns or, trigger weight's not an issue anymore and gadgetry is not an issue anymore it's what can i expect out of this and does it allow me the ability to think through a scenario and still maintain a high degree of accountability and safety so yeah and there's a lot you know because you know where i'm at with the gun history of the world and right. know, tracking this stuff back to you know because i am uh, the reality of all of this is sighting systems is what has really changed the guns themselves in all honesty haven't really changed 
that much. I mean, if you take a look at like a Colt 1903 pistol, uh, dude, that's a Glock 43, you know, in all honesty, or a Glock 48, you know, that's what that is from the, you know, from a hundred and pushing 120 years ago. So what's different is, you know, over the years, sites and how they're used is what's really changed. And if you look at the big, you know, I tell people, I go, the whole thing with the Weaver stance wasn't really how Jack Weaver was holding the gun. Jack Weaver had a, he was shooting a Smith and Wesson model 14. That's basically a target pistol that had fantastic sights on it versus the 1911s of the day and the Colt single action armies, everybody else was shooting that all had terrible sights on them that were hard to see. So what Jack Weaver did is figured out how to get those sights in his eye line fast. You know, then you started looking at the change of the sights we were putting on combat pistols and we're going through that again. And then, you know, we kind of, in my heyday, when I started, the big thing was night sights. Now we've got sights we can actually see in low light. Then this gets into sights better set up for precision work at speed. And, you know, we're transitioning into the red dots now. So a lot of this really just comes down to how well can you work the, the sighting system on your firearm and drive and, and then, you know, combine with your basic marksmanship skills. So there's not a lot to unwrap on this. It's just hard to do. And then, you know, you get a lot of people who, you know, get kind of hung up on me it's all about the shooting thing and i don't want to invest the time in my marksmanship skills so i'll try and buy that yeah <laughs> and it comes back and it comes back and bites them you know i'm getting ready to do a whole bunch of teaching uh at some conferences over the next year and uh six months whatever and you know i'm gonna probably i'm developing a new presentation on triggers and, you know, cause that's sort of my thing. And I'm one of the few people, you know, there's not a lot of us out here who have operationally used just about every trigger system out there operationally, you know, or actually managing people daily and doing stuff with all these different systems and they all have positives. They all have negatives and, you know, instructors should need to know all this stuff and most won't invest the time and they just want my, my trigger. And it doesn't weigh anything. And, you know, one of the things, you know, I'm going to be discussing in these presentations, and I'll ask you this right now. Have you ever had a downrange negligent discharge? Downrange negligent discharge. Define that a, a little down, bit or, or a, a, down, a downrange unintentional discharge. Have you ever gotten on a target, been pulling, pull, you know, pressing your trigger on whatever, and one of them went off before you were really ready for it? And went ooh, And it might have been a 10 rank. I mean, it might have been right where you wanted it, but you were like, oh, I didn't expect that one. That was a surprise. Yeah, and I won't. Uh, if you say no, you're, li if you say no you're, li you're lying. Well, here, <laughs> we've all had it happen. Here's the you thing know, with that. these guns now, and it, it, well, I got, I'll give you a. I, I got, a, I, I Go got a little quick interjection. So I get, I get LTT number 50, right? And. I don't know what kind of secret sauce Ernest put on my gun, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the single action was um, 
for coming from a guy that shoots a revolver quite a bit and shoots some heavier double action guns, there were numerous times that I was like, oh, whoa, that single action transition, A, I'm missing it. And, and by missing it, I mean, I don't feel where that's at. So I actually (laughs) went back and looked at the work he had done to it and actually increased the single action (laughs) weight of the trigger. And now a guy like him, he can run that trigger all day and, and do great things with it. But I was kind of of the opinion. I was like it. I am too like pig knuckled, dude. I am, I am, I'm crushing through the, the single action and 99% of the time they went exactly where I wanted them to go, but I oh, went, yeah, well, well, because you had, cause your marksmanship skills were still there. You had sights of wine, right? And you know, you, you, you had a clean press, but it kind of went bang when you really didn't, you were like, Whoa, you know, cause I've done that a lot, particularly when, Somebody, you know, cause we're gun dudes. So people, right. any opportunity, somebody hands you something and you're like, and go, Hey, try this. And, and what is everybody? And nobody hands you one that is horrible. Everybody wants you to go, Hey, feel the trigger check on this, this one, out. you know, or yeah. figure, yeah, check out the new, check out the new alien or <laughs> check out my new match gun or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of those. Cause you know, I shoot the same stuff you do. I'm like, Okay, I'm used to rowing, you know, 12 pounds. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, that just went bang again. I mean, I hit really good. But, and it, you know, I just had that happen with, you know, I've been working with this double action only uh, Beretta. and Which I have a fondness for, by the way, thanks to you. Oh, er- everybody does. And, you know, the whole thing was it was a gun. I've never spent a lot of time with a straight DAO only auto. Um, and I wanted to get some time on it. So I carried that gun for several months and I'm just now transitioning back to either a PX four compact or a 92 D compact. One of the two, a traditional DASA gun. And I'm shooting them much better. I went out the other day with a 92 compact. I had never shot before, you know, new gun to me and, you know, shot a 95 test and I haven't been shooting a lot. I, 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 I attribute that to all the time I've been spending on that D model gun. But I'll give you kind of a funny about the time I was working with the D model, I got a full house Ernie, you know, a red dot sighted compact, you know, with the secret sauce, NP3, everything yeah. triggered thing. You got a V gun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm shooting, I'm shooting plates with the D model with all the double action. And I grabbed the other one just to get a little time on the red dot with that. And, you know, my second shot was completely unintentional. I hit the plate, but it was certainly, it it, it certainly wasn't when I thought it was going to go off. Hey, that's great when we're out on the range shooting. Here's the reality. If I need to articulate that on it, if that went into another human being, Houston, we do have a bit of a problem here. And chances are I'm going to be able to articulate my way through it, or the threat was still probably there if we're there. But the reality is, do I really want to be okay with that? If we're talking putting rounds into fellow citizens, even if they're criminals, that are going to be scrutinized by a court system, a civil system, 
and a cultural system that is not in our favor. Yeah. That's what we're going up against here. I And we need to take that, to me, fairly seriously, where a lot of people, what I hear is, well, what I would do is, you know, in one of these situations, which Daryl translates as soon as I hear what I would do is, is that immediately translates to me as I've never done this before and it's complete theory to me, is I, how that translates in my world. I'll give you some good language for that. When I hear what I would do is, <laughs> is I, I, I interject a couple words and I say, no, what you think you would do is... Right. I mean, it, it, instead of what I, you're what, still in what, the arguing stage. Yeah. I would go, yeah, you're still young. You're still young enough. You're in the arguing stage. I just nod my head and I go, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. You will. <laughs> yeah. And you might and it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's truth to that. I, I just, the way I look at it is I go, well, you know, if it's Yo, how- somebody that's been there, done that, I'll go, Okay, I got that. All right, duly noted. And then I look at it from the perspective of, no, what I think I would do is. And having been in enough high-stress situations, uh, I I have two dear friends that both have been in shootings with Beretta 92s with Bone Stock Factory, uh, which is one of the other reasons I love that gun. I mean, not because it shot other human beings, but because I actually have hands-on with people that are very close to me that have, have implemented them. And I am right. talking rack grade 92 FSs. And one of them said, I rolled through the double action trigger. I didn't feel any weight. I just no, had lots of thinking movement. time you, and felt movement. You, feel, you felt movement and thinking time. And from being in, in, a shooting with a DA auto, I couldn't tell you what the trigger weight was on my SIG. What I do know is I was very aware of the movement. I wasn't very aware of the weight. Right. Second guy made a 45-yard shot, scored two hits. First one was double action from the holster. Said I never felt the weight of the trigger. But I knew when that gun was going to go off. Basically saying, I had trained yeah. with that double action trigger to know this is where it's going off. And then made a follow-up shot because bad guy was still still doing bad things. So, uh, And th- this gets back to nerves that fire together, wire together. Yes, he's got a neural pathway built on that trigger that it's sort of almost irrelevant at that point because he was probably fairly on autopilot that my brain sending signals down that neuro pathway into my fingers kind of knows what's going to happen here. You want to hear the other? Because I've done it a lot. Yeah. (laughs) The other beautiful thing about both of those, both of them were in low light and neither one of them had night sights. Yep. Yeah, wrap your head around that one. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is if you can see the target, the reality is you can probably see a sight picture. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, as we put, you know, everybody's all, wow, you can, you know what I, what, to me, the really good thing with night sights is, is I can find the gun on a nightstand when it's dark, 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 <laughs> dark, you know, the, uh, 
you know, we found the reality was one of the things that I started doing years ago, um, when we first got the USP 45. So I'm going to say it was like 96 ish. Um, you're dating yourself, Daryl. I know. <laughs> I know. So is, yeah, long story short, I ended up with the USP 45 with a regular, uh, with no night sight in the back and a night sight in the front. And I set my guns up from that day on. Most of my stuff is set up with nothing in the back. Cause I found, you know what? It draws my eye to the front sight. And cause otherwise the big glowy things in the back are kind of the first thing your eyes see and draw your attention to particularly in low light. So like, I don't want that. I want to draw them to the front site. Cause that's the important one to me. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people put all this emphasis on night sights and I kind of look at them, I go like, have you really played around with that in the dark a lot? Cause you know, I was working, I was clearing buildings every single night with a pistol on a pretty regular basis. And it was other people's buildings. It was for real and you know with real consequences and i kind of found that this works for me and most of the stuff where i would ever have to take a shot or was encountering people i could see my sights um now the first shooting i was in with my uh was with a bead sight at 870 was it was too dark to see the sights but again we're talking a bead sight 870 in very low light kind of versus a pistol that was like yeah i would really give anything for a set of uh you know a tritium front-sided uh set of ghost strings on this thing right now or uh you know today you know that's why i'm one of the biggest advocates out there for red dots on shotguns to me that is the place for the red dot i kind of like the uh a more of a low power variable or a magnified sight on uh rifles but on shotguns like they're all of them should have red dots on them but the, so you get into, again, back into this, uh, what are we really trying to do? And there's a lot going on before, during, and after that trigger is getting pressed. That is part of fighting while armed with guns versus the actual gun fighting part. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a big equation versus a, a small chunk of the equation. And, you know, again, I think there's a lot of takeaways from guys like Dave, who are so experienced kind of on the military operational side and particularly guys like Dave, who are also high level competitors, same, you know, Ernest Langdon's another one. Some of these guys who, you know, Vickers, there's a lot of these guys who have, a lot of deployment time, operational time overseas with these guns, but also uh, are, are ex- extremely good technical shooters on top of it. And we can take a lot from those guys of knowledge, but when we're talking as a use of force tool for being in a fight while armed with a gun versus a gunfight, is we're talking a super small percentage. And again, where are we putting our emphasis at? Um, you know, again, holding the gun. I have had more attempts to take a firearm away from me 
then I have shot people and I have probably shot more people than most people, if that makes sense. And I've had, I guarantee I've had probably more cases of people attempting desperate, desperate, desperate felons attempting to disarm me of my pistol. It has weighed heavily in the factors of how I hold a pistol because that has reared its ugly head more than actually shooting them. Yeah. So again, I kind of weigh that again, but that's my anvil of experience. Um, you know, somebody else may not have had that. They may have had different, uh, expectations. For example, in an overseas environment, I am sure that any of the situations where I did not shoot in a retention situation would have probably resulted in the, uh, Al Qaeda terrorists getting shot overseas in a situation where, I wasn't quite legally there domestically to make that shot under the parameters we were working under, if that, if that makes sense. So yeah. you're going to have some of these twists and some things may be a good go in one world that aren't a good go in another world or even uh, two different cities, two different states, two different jurisdictions could be different, um, different levels of train. There's a lot there. Um, a situation where I may not shoot in a retention situation because I've worked on some of these skills that I can get away with getting my gun back as opposed to shooting my gun back. Well, you know, if I was uh, five foot two and, you know, weighed a buck 20, um, that might have ended up in a shooting because I can't rip the gun back. Yeah. So again, even, even same scenario, but with a little different factors. So again, this stuff gets pretty complicated and again, most people want to grasp at what they are sure of or what they can really put some, you know, we all love consistency and regularity in our lives. Um, I am married to the, the, the best logistical planner on the planet, which is a great offset to me who like lives in complete chaos. Most of the time I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's that's an just, inherent from, cop trait. That's a cop I, I trait. Come, well, you, well, once you've been a cop long enough, you depend on nothing. Oh no, you're going to get off at seven o'clock in the morning. No, I'm not. If I <laughs> lost my mind every time I didn't get off on time, you know, or, you know, well, I'm supposed to be there at this time. And then, oh, it changed. You know, I mean, just God, just get a subpoena for court. It's a, uh, you know, please don't plan on anything going on on court time. You know, that's like, that's like some kind of weird metric system as far as what time they're using. So again, we all have our strengths and stuff. And a lot of people want stuff that you can put a sure thing on. So it's like, um, I'm always amazed with the, the USPSA shooters. It kills me that they're able to do this. And they go, you know, they'll look at a target array and go, you know, um, okay. That's going to be 1.2 seconds on that one with a, with a 0.3 transition into a 0.17 something here. Uh, that's going to take there. Here's my reload. That's going to be 2.1. You know, and I mean, they go through this mathematical equation, looking at an array of targets. And I'm like, that is so massively cool. I'm awed by it again, not my thing, but I will certainly hand the props for it 
that that takes a lot of work, practice, dedication, and stuff. It just doesn't apply to my to my world because you know I can because uh, literally you get a crook turned to his right and this is going to be the problem. Or if they turn to their left, this is the problem. This is the world I'm used to is that you're dealing with this stuff on the fly. You know, I talk about recently, um, that high accountability shooting course we set up, um, that I think may end up being a thing in the future. Um, the fastest El Prez we had was a twenty-one fifty-four, which Kegel shot. Who's yeah. pretty good at this stuff. Um, most most of them were twenty-eight to thirty-second El Prezes. Nobody gets on the internet and brags about a, a shooting a thirty-second El Prez. Nobody. On the way we set it up, a thirty-second El Prez was pretty good because there was so many non-shoots, ever-changing situation. You were going to turn around and you were going to have three shoot targets that you were going to have to hit twice, reload and hit twice. That was going to be the same. But where those targets were, what was between them, around them, in front of them, behind them, that was a complete unknown. And all of a sudden, there's no way you're running that in under 10 seconds. I challenge you. I don't care who you are. You're not running that under 10 seconds. Yeah, and and I think – period. To, you know, so to gin, the, uh, because to, it was more about the assessment and and stuff than anything else. Well, well, to gin Saki the whole conversation, I think that like the the things we're talking about about accountability and uh, you know even down to gun setups and and not knocking mill or or competition or any of that uh there's in the uh grand scheme of how to become an effective gun fighter there there's like a whole nother layer that you're describing which is the assessment side and i don't see a whole lot of anybody teaching the assessment side and and i'm not trying to like you know blow sunshine up you and Wayne skirt but but i am to a degree uh in that <laughs> it's not always about speed it's not always about you know all the, the the exercises and drills and all that it it's about performing with an with a degree of assessment and how to measure that assessment that tends to be almost this third dimension of shooting and I, and I mean that sincerely yeah. in that, that really oh, no. not it's a lot of people are talking about it. Piece to the, no, no, it, it's a puzzle and we all have pieces of it. Like I said, you'll never hear me saying, oh, well, you suck if you do this. Uh, again, there is nobody who has more respect for the USPSA guys than me because it's not what I do. And I have not trained enough to do it. So I look at it with odd um, envy of, but that's where they put all their effort. I get it. You know, by the same token, I put all my effort into something else that, you know, kind of floats my world. And all of this comes down to, we're trying to hand a platter of, 
stuff to our students and the people who are listening to us or who we're trying to guide, influence, mentor, whatever. So we're handing them a platter of, of, of stuff that they need to make their sandwich out of. And there's just not a lot of people who already have a pre-made sandwich. We're all kind of putting a little bits of pieces in, you know, some of these folks out there, incredible athletes that ain't, I am so broken, have so much wrong and have seen so much go wrong when athletics are attempted in gunfights that that's not my thing. But there are some people out there who are putting a lot of time into the combative fitness. I mean, God, look at PMAC. Yeah. You know, unbelievable, you know, on where that guy's performance level fitness wise is. Um, you know, Paul Sharp, Greg Ella Fritz, you know, some of these guys are just doing incredible work with that stuff. Um, I'm working with guys myself, like, uh, Cecil Birch and Chuck Haggard putting together classes involving kind of guns, combatives, whole package stuff. But you notice like we're all taking kind of chunks of the thing where we've all invested our time to try to give the students a package, you know, take a little bit of, you know, the jujitsu side from Cecil, take some of, uh, you know, force application from Chuck, take some of the gun assessment stuff from me. And, and we're going to put that together and try to give you a sandwich that you can, um, that that's kind of a whole meal in one package. But most of us have had to sort of specialize because of the resource limitation you've talked about. And some of us, it's forced down our throat. I mean, when I was working, you know, everybody goes, hey, do you reload? Yeah, I, I dial a combination on a locker, and I go get factory new ammo, and I, I, I load it into my <laughs> magazines, and I, and I shoot it a lot. Um, you know, me and my shooting partner, we were shooting 50,000 rounds a year for 10 years straight. The, the taxpayers provided us. I never call it free ammo it wasn't free the taxpayers paid for that ammo and i felt a duty to, to give that back to them in the performance but when i retired i was like oh my god ammo is expensive yeah you gotta be kidding me i had to dial back a lot of what i was doing and you know it's funny because um you know we're of the age of sponsored shooters i mean our whole kind of life has been you know prior to the 80s you know, and, and really prior to the nineties, look at who used to win the Ipsic matches. You had to be rich. You had to be well, off. all those original first guys were very, uh, they were not in financial hardship because the, the people who won that came down to the people who could afford to practice. You know, we're all resource limited on what we can do. You know, you don't have enough time in most people's lives and you know let's take a look at some of our tier one people your tier one operational military folks the reality is most of those folks are olympic level athletes i always tell them when they're teaching stuff and i go i wish i had your students i really wish my students were your students you know because you know if my students were the top one percent of one percent of the military who are basically Olympic level athletes, they're a lot easier to train and you can do some pretty cool stuff, but that's not what we get. But if you look at those guys, 
at high level operational tempos, they're maintaining fitness, they're maintaining uh, shooting skills, they're maintaining all sorts of really cool operational stuff. They're in, in, uh, you know, we make up shoot houses. They're in actual shoot houses, uh, you know, force on four. There's a lot of stuff going on there that most of us don't have access to those resources. You know, on the other hand, we have access to stuff that they don't like, you know, uh, some sort of at times normal domestic life being around with your family. You know, those, those guys are often well removed from any level of stuff. This changes some mental attitudes and stuff too. So we all have different resources we're working with. Um, you know, I'm finding out and, you know, from various times in my life, you know, how important is your mental health dependent on what kind of relationships you're in? Is that not a factor in our performance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I did far more shooting and some of my best performance during being in poor relationships at home. Cause it was easy to not be home and to be out training. <laughs> I've so, lived I mean, that I mean, life. Yeah. <laughs> that's sort of, yeah, we've, yeah, you, we've been there. We've been at the, uh, sorry, baby. I got, I'm going to, I'm not going to be home. I'm going to be at the range or I'm going to be taking this class or I'm going to be out of town doing whatever. It makes it real easy to do that for me. Now I don't want to be, I don't want to take one second away from the time with my wife and daughter to be out doing some of this other stuff yeah hey so, i, I know, have to go back becomes, to night shift let's see they're shorthanded we're gonna have a secret you know it's i'm at work right now i i have to, i have to work <laughs> i have to work mandatory overtime sorry yeah <laughs> so yeah we uh we you know so then you know what are we doing for our mental well-being in our relationships, that's a factor as well. Um, these things all sort of work into the equation of where we add on this. I mean, this is, this is some deep stuff and how we put our, put our, uh, our set of skills together and everybody has some different goals and, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be out discounting it. We should be trying to kind of look at it with, um, how much, how does this really apply? And, you know, one of the things I do now is I, 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 I've, you know, I thank my wife for this, introducing me to the, to, you know, wing shooting, to, you know, shotgun sports, whether it's shooting, you know, birds or trap or whatever. And I've determined I'm not ever going to compete in any of that stuff for the very reason of it's fun for me right now. The second I make it competitive, I'm going to be a mess, you know, and right now I could care less and it's just fun. I, I treat it kind of like golf that I'm not very good at. And, you know, so again, you get into when I go to the range right now, if I, if I'm taking one of my training gun or my, my carry guns, one of my serious work guns to the range, do you think I'm having fun at the range? That's work. No, it's work. It's going to the gym. It's terrible. It's hard. I, you know, I'm doing drills. I'm not good at, and it sucks. And, and then I have to deal with my ego of like, 
oh, that was terrible. You know, because, you know, you get to a point in life, you stop lying to yourself. You know, that, oh, well, those were, uh, you know, I'm spreading the trauma or some BS, you know, people put up. <laughs> I'm, it's, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, you know, one of my favorites, I'm a tactical shooter. That's combat accuracy. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I go, cause all the guys I know are really good at that parked rounds and hearts or heads, you know, that, that, that's what combat accuracy really is. That thing you're doing is, uh, some sort of zombie, uh, game fantasy stuff. I, so I like the, you know, uh... again, you know, you, you gotta destroy, destroy your ego to go to the range and do good work. Yeah. And, and that's one it's thing that part I, part of the equation. I've taken from yeah, a uh, lot of people aren't ready for that. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's one of the things I've taken from S. Dave is uh, he he doesn't go to the range when he says I'm going to the range. He says I go to the range to put in a workout, and I'm like, and it took me a while to wrap my head around because, of course, it's S. Dave, and it's a layered statement, you know, and and what he's saying is. This is not fun. This is not entertainment. This is not enjoyment. I'm going to practice skills and put in it. It's no different than a power lifter. There's a regimen there that they're doing to it, to get to a, a level or, or to maintain a level. And the older I get, the more my range sessions end up that way. And the more my, my time ends up that way. So, to bring it uh, to bring it full circle, you know, I I think one of the things I would I would tell people, and one of the things that I appreciated about S Dave's deal is uh, this this new package he's teaching is a lot more in depth on the thinking side of the house than it is just the pure shooting side, and there are a, there is tons of great training on the pure shooting side. And that's kind of where, that's kind of where I live to balance my, uh, you know, between belt company and, and police work and yeah. podcasting. When I go teach a class, it is a pure performance shooting class. And, and the reason being is there are plenty of concealed carry holders out there that need that, need that bump into the next level that, that they need to put their toe in the pool and go, okay, it's, it's good to jump in. And that's kind of the realm I live in. And then I go, I go, okay, now, now that you've got that, now let's look at what are your goals? Where are you going from here? Because the total package ends up being, okay, I'm, I'm a decent grappler. I'm a good gun handler. I'm a, I'm a good shooter. Uh, I'm a, I'm a good thinker. It, or do I want to take this as a pure sport? You know, do I want to go in and shoot trap or clays or ski, whatever it is. Uh, but on the handgun side, I kind of look at it from a different perspective and Ernest Langdon kind of summed it up for me years ago. He's like, look, dude, your, your handgun is your reserve parachute. It's got to work. You have to be able to employ it when you need it. And it has to be a hundred percent. This is the last line of defense to save your life, you know, and, and what I mean by that is when the guns in play now, that is the, that is the final ultimate, uh, decision maker for you, right? That's, that's it. And 
that's the way he looked at the training side of it was this is your reserve parachute it is your final procedure so i don't now granted a lot of that stuff bleeds over into uspsa and idpa and all these different shooting sports and it's great and performance is awesome and having performance on demand to me is uh kind of the pinnacle of it doesn't matter what i'm doing i can perform at a at a credible level and uh but without getting obsessive in, in, in any one area. And I like what you said about, you know, I love wing shooting, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to compete. And, and I'll draw that back to 1911s. I loved 1911s so much that I went and learned how to build them and work on them. And now I don't ever want to like touch one again, if it's not running a hundred percent, you know what I mean? Because it just crushed that side of my, uh, my personality to, to indulge in it any further. Well, do you have a, uh, so kind of, uh, you know, we were kind of doing the counterpoint of, uh, becoming an effective gunfighter and I won't even call it a counterpoint. It's more of like a follow on. No, it's a, it's an added, it, it's a follow on. And you know what? I, I wanted to add something about super Dave too. Yeah. Um, you know, for people that don't know, one of my biggest things with super Dave is, you know, Dave talks about, you know, going to the range and working out, you know, what has impressed me about Dave did not come from Dave. When I have people that I look up to as extremely high level shooters and they talk about Dave's work ethic when it comes to putting in the work on the shooting side, they're like, yeah, I like, I do this and you know, I do all this cool stuff. And and, uh, then they're like, and then there's super Dave, you know, who's off on a different world level of level of discipline on training. And there's a lot to learn from that. And, you know, uh, believe me, I have, uh, anytime I've had a chance to ask Dave about any of that kind of, Hey, what do you do on this or training stuff? Um, if I've had the opportunity, um, has been pretty good. So yeah, I look up to Dave as a, you know, he's on a different level than most folks, you know, and a lot of people always seem to want to take the shooting side out of this as sort of almost as a, I'll make kind of two points, you know, is dissecting what Dave's talking about is important and people should be able to take some sort of deep dives into this stuff. And I'll I'll give you a quick, funny story with my wife. So she took a class from Dave, from super Dave uh, that was offered through, uh, when he was teaching a, uh, a girl and a gun and she came back and I said, Hey, what did you pick up for Dave? And she said, uh, play with your gun. And I'm like, did Dave actually say that? I wrote a whole thing up on it on my little Facebook thing, you know, and yeah. like, did Dave actually say that? She goes, no, that's just what I took away from it and translated it. Basically, you know, girls are brought up to play with guns where that's what boys do. But her thing was that was taken away is I need to spend some time being comfortable like I do. I, I never don't have a fire, a revolver, usually a revolver or an auto sitting in front of me with, with, you know, set up for dry practice that I'm not manipulating on playing with, you know, dry practicing with doing reloads or tack reloads or doing something with, it's just a natural thing for me. It's like a fidget stick or something. (laughs) She isn't wired that way. And she said, you know, my big takeaway is watching Dave and kind of what he's talking about is that I need to start doing that. It's constantly working those manipulations and stuff. So 
you know, you can take somebody who's had no exposure to this. And if you can kind of break down what Dave's getting at or really work to, to translate through it, there is absolute gold stuff and none of it's wrong. Um, like I said, I have decided my place in the world on some of this is I'm not willing anymore in life to devote the time I need to, to be a high level competitive technical shooter. And I'm okay with that. Um, there was a time in my life. I was, this isn't it, you know? Um, yeah, I pride myself at one point, you know, I was able to, in a class, you know, beat Ken Hackathorn, which I, I, you know, he was much older and that was okay. It was just, I got there because, you know, when you can kind of, you know, be on the same plane as the master. But the big thing was I was running the same scores and time with Rob hot, who at the time was one of the top 10 shooters probably in the country. So I've been there in life where I have been devoting the time I was in a rotten relationship, whatever was going on. And I could do that. Now there are so many great technical shooters and performance people out there. You can go to, to get some incredible information on, high level marksmanship, technical shooting where I try to put myself in the part of the supplement to the super Dave, as opposed to a counterpoint, it's a supplement is right. When we're talking domestic use of force with a firearm, that is a whole, it is its own animal and you need to invest some time in it and you need to invest some time into really thinking through don't lie to yourself. Don't do the, well, what I would do is you need to spend time trying to figure out how to practice this, how to build around the realities of force management and chaos, set your gear up, not just setting your gear up for pure. Oh, well, on this drill, I get this time and this score. Yeah, but do you got a trigger system in your gun that you're getting downrange negligent discharges with? I'm kind of like you. I mean, my carry guns generally don't have amazing triggers in them. They have reliable, controllable uh, triggers in them that are very predictable. They don't have unpredictable triggers in them for a reason. Now, I have stuff that's set up for, like, shooting drills fast and they have unpredictable triggers in them, you know, cause I want to cheat, but on the street, I don't want to cheat so much that, you know, I, I get a shot down range that I didn't really intend to cause we're not at a level that I can manage when I've got massive amounts. And I know myself from experience, this isn't, I think this is going to happen or I, uh, what I would do is this is Daryl knows for 100% sure I, I get massive adrenaline dumps during these kind of incidents, and I need to be able to work through that. Um, it's just a fact. I've done it enough that, that I try to capitalize on that adrump of adrenaline and, uh, you know, and all the uh, hormonal changes that are going on during these events that have helped save my life. But on the other side, they're not real good for managing two-pound triggers but it needs to be these deep thoughts and some time spent on how am I employing this as a force tool and what are my goals versus a time and a score that I can put on Instagram on goals for um, not just surviving an event, but 
being in what we call a righteous, if you have to use lethal force, is it a righteous shoot? Is it morally, ethically, and legally correct in everything you did? That's a, that's a big bar. That is a very high bar, and it's often harder to reach than a certain score and a time. Uh, but it will certainly take as much work. So that's kind of where I'm at on that is, like I said, I just wanted to, uh, you know, add, add some extra bread slices to the Super Dave sandwich. All right, episode 42. I'm going to call this one Know Thyself, Becoming an Effective Gunfighter Part 2. Thanks again to Daryl. As always, uh, check out our sponsors, Excess Sites, the title sponsor, EDC Belt Company, CCW Safe. Remember to type in code OFFDUTY10 at checkout for 10% off your membership. Get your tickets to the Guardian Conference. Links in the show notes. Coming up September 17th, 18th, 19th in Oklahoma City at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. Oh, there's one more. Oh, the Concealed Carry Giveaway. Click the link in the show notes. you got to sign up weekly. They're giving away some cool gear and training. And as always, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.